Podcast. This is John. This is Trav. And this is still Richard. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast. Your podcast of strapping yourself in, bringing up those nuclear reactors to full power, and blasting off at 3Gs. To infinity and beyond! I'd be happy just to reach orbit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, welcome to the TriTech Games Podcast. Uh, this week we are talking about Richard's new game called Easy Space. Uh, Easy Space is a reinvention of science fiction uh, as a lot of us grew up with. Uh, it was the original envisioning of how the future was going to be, what the space program was going to be, what basically life in space was going to be. Uh, and... Uh, where the spaceships were long and cylindrical and they uh and they landed on their butts and they took off with a column of flame as god and robert a heinlein intended okay i'm just looking through the ships right now and it's some interesting and then i find ah it's the rolling stones no we can't call them that it's still in the copyright um You are going to need to do a assertion replace, Richard, because you're using a shiny the word a lot of places. Bruce, print out one and mark it up, would you? Uh, you didn't put any units on the sizes of things, so they could just as easy be in meters as in feet. Yep. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I was trying to build something universal, something that, you know, you could easily adapt. The city ship Akron? It's five kilometers across. Yeah, two and a half miles. That's fine. Yeah, okay. Instead of being a mile across, it's going to be two and a half miles. Yeah. (laughs) Which is more impressive to me. When we get to her, um, in the later campaign, where you're literally just out in intergalactic space, it's basically FTL at this point. It's, it's a it's incursion, whatever. You know, you're going to have to come up with whole new, different, basically a whole different campaign because what's going to be what was important in the in the early campaign is not going to be important at all anymore. Uh, and uh, I'm not quite sure. You know, I've never tried to run a campaign in, the, in, in that kind of a culture. So I'm not quite sure what would be a fun thing to do. But uh, hauling cargo does seem to be one of the things that you can do. And I thought it was interesting that um, one of the things that you can haul are slaves. So um, I was just going to ask you, Richard, um, considering that they have cloning, considering that 
you know, everything is, you know, they have robotics and everything else. Uh, what exactly are these slaves providing that would be make it worthwhile for them to be bought and sold across the galaxy? Who knows? They're pretty. They're decorative. They they work. They serve. They basically, if they're moderately intelligent or not. I know you can't use the uh, replicator technology to make a person, but I mean, you know, there, there's plenty of cloning. I'm sure there's plenty of cloning type devices that they could grow their own slaves on whatever world are willing to accept slaves. So that's why I was wondering why anybody would ship a slave from one world to another unless they had something that you thought would be of, of great interest to somebody on a world. I have one of those. You don't have one of those. I'm a better person than you are. Yeah, but you could, but you could have you could have your own slaves on your own world as you grew locally. Maybe we change that word to pets. There you go, because I I I can only see it working if you're going in, in fact in the incursion setting where where it's more I mean everyone who looked at incursion so far says it's cargo cults with spaceships. And therefore, yeah, you can't build any of the shiny stuff anymore, but you can, you, you, we can still use it. And we don't know how things work, but we can still use the tech because it doesn't break down. Okay. Well, let me make a few suggestions here, Richard. Okay. One is, is that um, it could be that they, you can get somebody from a completely alien culture and you get the advantage of seeing this person behaving as an alien. Okay, an intelligent person. So you get to see them interacting with your culture, you know, seeing all their disassociation because they're aliens and they're entertaining to you by watching them, you know, try and flail around in your culture, try to understand what's going on. That's one thing you could do. It kind of, you know, it is a pet, but it's an intelligent pet and has things like trying to deal sociologically with things. Slaves could be any race, so I'm saying if that's what you if you're into. It's a kind of a mild sadism here. Okay, another thing would be if there was, and this all assumes that they don't have some kind of electronic um, uh, educator that they could literally just go and take a clone and just program it with the brain of somebody from the other side of the galaxy, and not, again, not have to uh, ship it in. So. Uh, or it could be somebody with a particular skill that's very rare and valuable, like, for example, uh, artistic. You know, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't, we have billions of people on this planet, but we still don't have that many people who are, um, you know, truly, truly uh, artistic. And uh, there could be pirates out there or slavers out there that literally say, go to a planet. And they say, okay, who are the great you know, musicians? Who are the great singers? Who are the great artists? Let's go grab them. And then we'll take them and sell them to another world where they think that that's hot stuff. And we'll make a lot of money doing that. I can see it. Yeah, and I'm and just looking actually through the uh, on the on the the law in space, and actually I can see where slavery is, um, where it is not actually illegal per se, but it is a version of of kidnapping, is a version of coercion, forcing under threat. Um, so while well, being actual slavery, you were also uh, looking at indentured servitude and criminals too. Yeah, so someone actually may have sold themselves into slavery for you know the, to pay off a debt uh, until the debt's paid off. 
you know, because otherwise it's kidnapping. Kidnapping is illegal. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, that isn't, that isn't changing. It's like, it's like the whole thing with the uh, copyright. You know, there's always going to be people who make their money by, work, by breaking the law, you know. Uh, Richard even mentioned that in the later campaign, you're going to be dealing more and more with crime, interstellar crime, as you know, these these organizations start building themselves up and taking advantage of legal loopholes from planet to planet. You know, is there a uh, a galactic you know code of law, or is it every planet has their code of law? Well, yeah. if there's a great interstellar federation. I'm sure, and it is in caps in this, so they have it in the later campaign. I am sure that they would have interstellar laws by that point, that they would have, you know, it's. I think that the later campaign starts in the year 2400. I think they would have had to have started making interstellar laws because of all the vast amounts of trade that go on. Well, laws that have to do with keeping trade going are not necessarily laws that are humanitarian nature. So we are actually talking about two different things. But you bring up a good point, Trav, which is a lot of times, Richard, you mentioned that these colonies are receiving oversight by the powers that be. Okay, so who are these powers that be, Richard? I mean, you know, is uh, is the, is America basically, you know, fly, doing flyovers and spy satellites and making sure that the, uh, uh, the that the Russians act properly or the uh, Baptists, you know, haven't decided to have a witch hunt or something? I mean, how are how are they establishing these kinds of oversight on these planets where, especially where people wanted to establish them in the first place because they didn't want to have to follow other people's rules? There are the Space Navy and Space Marine ships, and they do have stealth on them. That's probably how, you know, they sneak by on their little stealthy ships and do those flybys. So they're spying on them, and if they see something they don't like, what do they do? Do they send the Navy in and bomb, you know, bomb the snot out of them or something? Well, if there's trade involved, you can do trade concessions and sanctions and whatnot. I doubt they're just going to go in gun blazing right off the bat. They're going to just sit there and say, okay, we're not going to trade with you for a while. Okay, okay, we'll stop. You know, it's like. What if a society is mass murdering its own populations? Oh, well, in that case, then lock and vote. Yeah. You're you're picking a really extreme example here, okay? What if it isn't. What if it isn't. It's oppression rather than. You know something like you know a, a smoking gun. Let's let's say they decide that a segment of their population no longer has the right to vote or no longer has the right to uh, own property. Okay, you know do is you know are, are they going to go in and do a surgical strike and everyone people are going to disappear during the night or uh, yeah, are they? I mean, I'm saying that's a lot of Big Brother ship that you're suggesting there, Richard. When you see people being resettled into resettlement camps because they're at war with somebody. Oops, nope, sorry, that's us. <laughs> well, I'm not talking about whether we've been guilty of it in the past, John, okay? That can never be the reason why you don't do something right, okay? It has, but I'm just saying is that I'm thinking it from a logistical standpoint, is that, you know, what, the more colonies that are out there, the thinner any, you know, 
any kind of a, of a big brother force is going to be. So outside of, of literally looking for gross violations of, of sentient rights, and, uh, and, and by the way, which does not qualify for artificial life forms like AIs, because they're always treated as second-class citizens, according to Richard. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, you know, how much, you know, uh, w- you know, is, do we just fire up the Ashani warships and, you know, the Constantinople light force and have them just travel around and bomb the snot out of uh, planets until they tow the line? I don't know. I just wonder sometimes. If they're Ashani warships, instead they go overhead and make everyone dance. But that's in dance and sing, but yeah. It's, it's, no, that's only if the Ashani were running them. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> But it's a great way to distract them, though, where you send your troops down and in, in, in shielded ships to blow them up. Then, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I just, I'm just raising the question of, of, of being of actually policing a uh, co- these colonies. Sounds to me to be very un, un I don't want to use the unpractical. I want to use the word unrealistic, unpractical. No. I'll, I'll, I'll quote something because I've been I follow a bunch of boards about this kind of stuff. Uh, one is the Rocket Punk Manifesto, and they were talking about and there he was talking about the inevitable creation of the Space Patrol, but not as something that's under the control of one country. It's something that's put together mainly as traffic control initially, you know, because there'd be a lot of traffic out there, and you need someone out there to handle the traffic but eventually you're going to have people out there who decide that they want what someone else has got and you need to send someone in to well keep them from doing that and they sort of go from traffic control to space patrol they're a non-governmental organization they basically are they test themselves with keeping the peace and the keeping peace may be putting a hole in the side of the ship and letting the air out in the process well, that sounds an awful lot like piracy now. I mean, you know, if a government doesn't acknowledge the authority of the space uh, patrol, then they're just basically another marauder. Yep, or vigilantes, one or the other. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The only series of books that ever actually t- t- tackled this, I think, properly was the Lenzism series by E. Doc Smith. Because they said, you know, that was the whole reason why they established the uh, the, the Lensman uh, order was because they kept trying to, you know, chase criminals from one planet to another, and they inevitably would commit a crime on one planet, you know, jump in a spaceship, go to another planet where that wasn't illegal, and then they would claim, you know, uh, that they were being oppressed by the space patrol. And that's why they said, okay, we need some kind of a badge of honor that, first of all, you know, says this person is part of the, the patrol. Secondly, we have to avoid, you know, do something to take care of the communication problem. And, not, you know, and, and, and the third, the ability to prove that this person is, is guilty, guilty, and this is a misunderstanding, which was the telepathic ability of the lenses that these people were carrying. And finally, the fact that this ancient, ancient race would make, uh, basically would not let anybody get a lens who was, had any kind of moral turpitude. So therefore, you're, you had Boy Scouts, you know, wearing these lenses and going around and doing justice in the galaxy. And everybody acknowledged it because, you know, they could prove everything that they said. I mean, they, they could see through everybody's mind. They could, you know, 
And so when you sh- when they showed up, or when just like the Jedi, basically, when they showed up, everybody said, "Okay, do your thing, man. You know, we'll just stand back and let it happen." Or the Green Lantern Corps, same difference. They were universally accepted force. Yeah, uh, uh, that the, was universally accepted as a force for good and justice. The Green Lantern Corps is a good example of that. The Lensmen. But there doesn't seem to be that in any of Richard's books. Is there a universal space patrol that's supported by all the major planets, Richard? Remember, the Constopnor uh, began to be changed. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say pre-magistrate Constopnor would be the best example of that. Yeah, but in, in this book, are, you know, is there is um, there an equivalent in, in in easy space? Is there a galactic, you know, r- recognized moral uh, force for good? No, this book was only planned to start out an idea for a campaign, take it up, explore some of it, and then let the let the uh, players and the GM decide where it's going to go. Okay. I need uh, five assistants <laughs> and an office if I want to do anything more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, I mean, actually, if the players wanted to start their own space patrol, I mean, that's perfectly fine. It would probably be uh, more like a Marshall Dillon at the end of a gun. Well, my point here is, John, is that unless you have such a force, a recognized force like this, then what we're talking about is – basically jack heels on all the colonies and i don't think that's the 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 culture that we're trying to establish in this particular game Mm -hmm. now i i imagine that there's some sort of but the thing is there is i mean he does richard does mention later on uh, where is that uh right after all the neat toys social graces Farther on down, there it is. Okay, uh, real page fifty-five, lawn space. So somehow or another, there is, there's a, there's universal law. Yeah, you can say that this is the law, but you, you ha- implementing it is, is the question. Yeah, I mean, okay, I mean, the laws can be implemented, you know, with justice, or they could be implemented, you know. Unjustly, I mean, is, is uh, you know, the laws on the book, I, you know, has has been used to hurt people many, many, many times in the past, and we, and these are laws that we think are good. So, anyways, uh, so we've pretty much jumped around a whole lot. We haven't done a lot of detail in a lot of areas because this is a four, eighty-eight page long supplement. So this isn't, you know, a this is actually a full blown. Well, game world. No, it's a game world, okay, as in universal game world. Uh, Offering three different campaign levels, uh, offering an alternate history and a number of aliens. Uh, There's a lot of things that I'd like to see more of. I've always wanted more, you know, about how to build a starship and stuff like that, especially in the early campaign. But, you know, it's uh, that's not that kind of detail is not here. The atomic rocket ship, are they a good source for figuring out how to make uh, believable star uh, spaceships and starships, John? 
Oh yes, that's his entire purpose is to is to is you if you if you want to do real science, it's the place to go. But he does have a lot. Of, he does have a lot of references, so you can take what you want and not use other things. So it's great. But yes, the atomic rocket site run by Winchell Chung, the guy who drew uh, the ogre for the for the for the game ogre. All right. Well, anyways, this is a resource that you can use with this book to kind of fill in some things if you don't want to keep it loosey-goosey the way it's written. I mean, it's written very that way, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that because, I mean, you know, most people aren't rocket scientists. Most people aren't nuclear engineers, um, and they don't and, and they don't necessarily. I would say they don't need to be in order to play a game about exploring space. So, uh, but it is a. Um, uh, we're talking about our solar system as we are it is conceived of presently in modern day uh we are talking about uh the universe uh we are using some uh uh you know balonium to get us to power ourselves to get to the stars and we have a number of technologies which are like our version of 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 an alien technology because we've retrofitted and then we have the full-blown mature technology that's been out in the galaxy for millennia so there's going to be a kind of a crossover where our stuff as good as it is as interesting as it is gets replaced by these you know pieces of technology from the space don't underestimate the technology that is developed early in the game because that stuff is going to be a lot more modular. You're going to be able to leverage that to do all kinds of things because it's not going to be in a black box. Most of the stuff that's in the later part of the game when they talk about the galactic culture, is these are items. These are things that you can have and things that you can do, but they don't actually they don't they're not broken down into the pieces that allow you to say you know like uh captain universe or whatever and say okay i'm going to you know take you know the nuclear reactor from this device and i'm going to take the ai from my robot while he's taking a nap and i'm going to connect it to something else and make something uh you know that's not really you know uh what happens in a mature technological culture at least not the way it's presented in this particular supplement. Now, you can add that, sure, but it's not here. Uh, but that sort of thing is, is implied in the early campaign, and I would recommend that people be really wild and crazy uh, with that kind of a concept, even you know, maybe using some kind of a building thing. Isn't there a, a, a car game that allows you to make crazy gadgets? It's like a, a mad scientist game. There's a couple like that. Um, uh, the, I, I, I wish I wish I remember I can remember off the top of my head because I have a couple, but they're more storytelling games than it is actually making web, making weird things. There's a game with goblins where you're making devices, but they're sort of that way too. I, there probably is, but I just don't know off the top of my head. Well, if there is such a thing, and you should, and maybe maybe I'll see it when I go to Gen Con. Uh, you know, if I do, I'll buy a copy of it and bring it back, and we'll talk about it because that's one of the things that I always thought would be cool would be able to go and take these parts, you know, and then start attaching stuff to things. I mean, actually, they do it a bit in Munchkin. In some of the later versions of Munchkin, you've got all these things, especially Space Munchkin, that you can attach together and make it bigger, badder, weirder, crazier. Laser, baser, bow, baser, banana, fan, a full phaser. Yes, I played the game. (laughs) (laughs) Of doom. There you go. Of doom. Of doom. Oh, we cannot forget that. Yes. 
And but 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 it all matters not in the face of the knee pads of allure. <laughs> so I checked into all the various kinds of places I could think of as far as coming up with kind of pulpish wacky gadgets. And science fiction is full of them, especially all those stories from the 40s through the 70s. And uh, and when I think about this kind of thing, I think about Captain Future. And he was a character who had a, um, a ring that had uh, a model of the then uh, solar system. It was powered by an atomic motor. Uh, it, you know, it had a, a, a number of smaller um, motors in it uh, and a bunch of other things. And he was able to make all kinds of stuff from that and a few other pieces of equipment. He could make a, something that could power a door. He could make a mini laser. He could make all kinds of things. And I thought that was really, really cool. And that was also in a lot of other types of things. So uh, when I started thinking about this, that's why I was talking to John. And uh, he uh, recommended the Wacky Gadget Maker. Uh, and just type that into your uh, browser search window, and you'll find the site. Now, the the good thing is is that they have fantasy gadgets, they have science fiction gadgets, and they have weird science fiction gadgets. So you know, you you click a button, and it basically puts them together. Now, what it doesn't do is it doesn't say, well, you know, this is what goes into it. Okay, it doesn't tell you how to craft them. It just basically gives you a fancy name, you know. Uh, you know, the, if I may use the term from uh, uh, Sirens on Titan, uh, it's it'll say something like chronosynclastic infundibulum, and then you put something at the end of it: mixer or rifle or uh, doorbell, whatever. And and that word actually meant something in the the novel. But in the case of what we're talking about, it's pretty much whatever you make it to be. So uh, it doesn't provide you any kind of crafting ability, but at least it gets you thinking. And so if you as a GM want to add in a bunch of really strange, funny, pulpish kinds of words for devices, well, this is a really good resource for you, and I recommend it. Now, if you want to go to things like um, actual things that can be crafted you know, from relatively innocuous pieces of equipment, especially something where we're talking about we have a, a lift engine, we have a, 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 you know, a, a translator bead, we've got like maybe a, thor, a thorium generator. All these things can be put together and, and made into something you know cool. And uh, first of all, I would recommend that you go to the FTL 2448 game by Tractat Games because in the back of it, it does do have an awful lot of robotics type stuff where you're allowed to put together, uh, they have rules for putting together robots from various pieces. And that's a really cool thing to have because then it, you'll see all kinds of crazy type devices that you can put together. Another suggestion is the supplements from uh, Outpost Games through TriTac because at the back of it, they added a lot of new gear for the Bureau 13 game. And a lot of that weird, wacky type gear in that is actually stuff that would be pulpish and, or just you know 1950s, 1970s science fiction. Uh, because a lot of them were just basically good, and they didn't really explain how they were, you know, how they were made, but they were there. So again, more inspiration for you. Okay, uh, if you go to the Fallout Three, Fallout New Vegas, and the upcoming Fallout Four, uh, you'll find a lot of crafting in that, and that's taking various pieces of equipment, mostly garbage. 
Okay, mostly you know, uh, leftover stuff like leaf blower engines and other things like that, and putting it together to make some kind of a device. Well, the leaf blower engine has a power source. You know, it 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 blows something. Okay, so you have a device that could do that, uh, and you hook it together with other things, other parts like more wire. You know, maybe a sensor. Uh, maybe uh, you have to hook it to a gun so you get the trigger mechanism. You know, that kind of thing allows you to craft things from other things. And they've got quite a few items that can be crafted. Uh, and again, you can find, you don't have to buy the games. You can actually find that online in one of the various wikis of what pieces go into these things. And use that to build your science fiction type devices or provide a menu of items that can be put together to make science fiction or fantasy type devices. Uh, in The Last of Us, I know there were a lot of crafting stations there, but it mostly had to do with making weapons and guns. But there's a lot of weapons and guns in people's games. So uh, Dead Island also had a lot of crafting, State of Decay. All these zombie, all these apocalyptic games pretty much all have some kind of crafting involved in them because you're taking stuff and trying to put it together into something useful. And when you're in a situation where you have to figure out some way out of an intractable situation with equipment on hand, you know, just like they had to, you know, in Apollo 13, where they had all these pieces, they said, here's what we have in the capsule, make something that'll save these people's lives. Same way, you should be able to do that. And, you know, a lot of games have some pretty simple rules. You just simply just roll a, a, um, a repair check. It kind of says worlds, but you do have to have some idea about what you're doing. You have to say, I'm going to take this part and that part and that part. You really should role play it out. You shouldn't just roll dice because then, you know, it's you're, you might as well just be playing a video game. Uh, the Car Wars game from Steve Jackson. Okay, it has a number of supplements out for it that have all kinds of weird gear that can be added to vehicles, to cars, uh, a lot of its weapons, some of its armor, uh, you know, that sort of thing. The James Bond Q section supplements from the various versions of James Bond. And of course, you can probably find a lot of that online as well. So there's a lot of stuff out there that uh, you know, can allow you to do this kind of stuff. And uh, I highly recommend that you get all of that to really spice up uh, your your game because you know it, part a lot of it is all the feeling the, the the feeling we had back then was is that anything was possible scientific discoveries were coming right and left we were, we could miniaturize anything we could put a little computer brain in anything even though you know in the forties they thought that that computers weren't going to be tiny you know they th uh, unless they were robots. Of course, and then they, of course, they had to be tiny because they had to fit inside of a, a robot head that looked like a human or something close to it. So the point still is, is that, you know, there's no reason why you can't do this kind of stuff. You know, having multi-purpose type gear that can be broken down and reassembled into something new. If you're the kind of guy or girl who happens to have that kind of a bent that you want to do this kind of gadgeteering, or if your adventures lend itself toward the idea that we have to break down stuff and put things together. Uh, you know, the A-Team, uh, the TV series, did this every week. So, you know, you can too. Uh, there's no reason why a, a ship uh, that's uh, because you no longer have to worry about weight very much shouldn't be full of uh, machining uh, machines, uh, a full metal shop, a full, probably not a wood shop, but a full metal shop, a full electric shop, 
you know, electronic shop, you know, plastic fabrication, you know, what we have now available. And they didn't have it back then, of course, you know, not until you get into the late campaign where, of course, everything is possible and everything is available. And you probably just have to go up and say, hey, computer, let me describe to you what I want. And the computer walks you through the construction of the device. Yeah, it's it's you know, but most people I think are going to probably stick more toward the middle and uh, the, the early and middle part of that kind of a game because that's where all the discoveries are being made. That's where you know we're really in charge and we're not just part of a big galactic federation. Just my personal opinion. Uh, anyways, the point is if you have some more ideas about places you can find cool kinds of crafting type stuff, uh, maybe uh, even a list of really you know interesting type devices. That uh, you that that you, you cobbled together in a game, and this is how you did it. That'd be great to hear, and we really recommend that you put those onto our boards uh, and our Facebook pages because we'd love to see that kind of stuff. But anyways, it's all part of Easy Space. The whole thing is it is supposed to be fun. It is supposed to be pulpish. You know, we are supposed to be you know have a lot of hand waving and do a lot of really cool stuff. So you can do all that cool stuff that you always wanted to do, and. I say go do it. Yes, Richard? Okay. We're actually, with the steampunk technology we're going to be doing, we're going to do something along that line. Ooh. So, mm. because uh, Bureau 13 Brass and Steam right now is two pages complete. Yay! At least you're going on it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we're, we're moving. Uh, is that two pages from complete or two pages complete? No, 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 no. Two pages that have been uh, that are in the computer now with the proper borders and everything else. Ah, okay. and text. Okay, all right, but not art. Yeah. Richard has these little asides here that they're little for various characters, and I love the one on page twenty-six. Uh, humans in space. Uh, the 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 the, the uh, focal point character for the book is busy flipping through some uh, uh, some uh, menus. It's called menus of various alien dishes, and he finds a Burger King Whopper, Coke and fries, which he then replicates. And on the napkin is a note yeah. from people who put. I love that. These are these are great little uh, story hooks. Give your players. Yes. You know, they find something weird and they open up and read and go, oh, we should do something about this. <laughs> right. Because a lot of these, the replicators are replicating something according to a pattern. There's a lot of opportunities for hidden messages and other types of things that you might find, you know, that maybe you don't get exactly what you were ordering and that was intentional. And there's plenty of web gadgets out there. I'm looking at one right now called the Wacky Gadget Generator. And it created things like the electronic techno lugler or the illiteracy aquamotor. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> wow. All right. And we haven't even talked about robots. I don't. I haven't really spent a whole lot of time at this, but I would actually point you toward FTL twenty four forty eight because it actually had a lot of information on how to build robots. And I think it might be better than what's right here in this particular supplement. But the uh, the robots appear to be made primar- primarily out of collapsium, which means they are tough as nails. Man, you could you could take these guys and put them through some serious abuse, which of course makes them really dangerous when they go wacko. 
Yeah. yeah. Now, of course, one thing, of course, we had to look at the look heavy is uh, if your system like if I was doing this, say, in uh, fate, robots are easy. They're just simply uh, some aspects and some stunts. Uh, other systems you need, like I was doing, if I was actually doing it in, in uh, GURPS, I'd actually use their GURPS supplement on this thing to build the robots. So it's kind of, I would say, if your game system supports robots, use those rules. But if not, yeah, look at the FTL rules for systems that actually don't have robots. So Because robots are one page in this supplement, and really, I think that they deserve more. But you definitely need the information that's on this page because it's, you know, because they talk about brain cores and power cores and collapsing and all that stuff. So you need to kind of, you know, merge, you know, what the the fuller version of the with what's here to take advantage of what's that makes it easy space as robots. So take Robbie the robot. Ah, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. So, all right. So, thanks everybody for joining us for our uh, our review of Easy Space. By the way, uh, we like it. <laughs> I don't know if we made that clear. You know, we are noodling about various things that we think could be improved, but overall, this is a pretty solid um, supplement where we're having an alternate history of the way we thought the space would be based upon the early science fiction stories. And a lot of us, you know, uh, uh, who are the hosts on this show have, you know, basically grew up thinking that that was going to happen and it didn't. So uh, we're, you know, we're, it is, it is in some ways, you know, uh, a nice to have the opportunity to uh, have a role playing game where we could play, uh, you know, uh, our surrogates, you know, as if it had been the future that we were expecting. Yep. yep. And one thing I recommend that is, is if anybody's out there, go to the website and see the wonderful piece of the gray alien shaking hands with John F. Kennedy. If you haven't seen that one, that is absolutely the most stunning in the book. Well, cool. That sounds great. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us. We will have more for you uh, about other TriTech products and the various games that we love and we, uh, and we want to share with you. But you'll have to wait until next week. So until then. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. This is Richard Tahoka. Wait, you see what's coming next. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker. You best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts. Because we're some bad mothers.
Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.